Who were the prophets? What was their office? Who were the most important prophets in the Old Testament? And what were the significant events, the hugely critical events in the Old Testament that there always seemed to be prophets around? We are joined today by Houston Baptist University Old Testament professor Adam Harger to look at the prophets today on Theology On Air. Well, thanks for joining us. If you found us on Facebook or the podcast feed where we encourage you to subscribe or like or, yeah, subscribe to uh, to any way you can find us. Uh, I'm Evan McClanahan, pastor at First Lutheran here in Houston, flhouston.org. I'm joined, as always, by Sarah Stone, outreach coordinator at Memorial Drive Presbyterian Church, mbpc.org. Yep. And I, I was joking before, it's a soft G, right? Adam Harger? Yeah, but I'll go by either. That's fine. Okay, okay. Adam Harger, professor of Old Testament at the illustrious Houston Baptist University. Do you teach mm-hmm. at their seminary as well as the, the, the college? Yes, yes. Okay. All right. So a man of many hats. Yeah. And yeah. he's been on before. He's at been on before. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Well, we talked about uh, uh, Joshua and mm-hmm. the conquest mm-hmm. and, and violence. And then I was thinking today, we're talking about the prophets, but nobody has talked about judges. And then I realized Sarah and I talked about the judges. And it was so. amazing. Yeah. and A I, wealth of, a fount of information. I think so yes. little of myself. I don't even remember my own podcast. So anyway, <laughs> um, but somewhere between, you know, Joshua and the prophets, you know, you have you have judges. Uh, but we're, we're past that now. So we, we want to talk about the prophets. So um, let me just say, HoustonTOT.com, I'll say that again at the end, but that's where to go to learn about Houston TOT. We do have events coming up, as most of our listeners probably know, we're a young adults ministry in Houston. We gather around craft beer every other month and hot and interesting topics. <laughs> hot might not have been the best word to use, but hot and spicy. <laughs> What's well, Houston, so everything's hot. Yeah. Nice save. Yeah, Thanks. right, right. <laughs> also, you'll get Evan McClanahan's hot takes. Yeah, that's that's kind of the, the, the milieu I was going for there. Yeah, um, not like sizzle, sizzling. No, not, not like like, um, yeah. like a bad 80s movie, you know, where kids, you know, go to summer camp or something like that. Okay. <laughs> anyway, um, we can have fun here too, right? Yeah. Okay. All right. Just making sure. So, prophets. Um, let's talk a little bit about the... Uh, well, let's, let's talk first. What is a prophet. When we talk about a prophet in the Old Testament, I think there's a lot of people who certain things come to mind. So let's just maybe lay some groundwork about when we talk about the office of prophet in Old Testament Israel. Um, kind of who were they? What you know? What, what did they do? What were they expected to do? And did they only have to eat locusts? Just include <laughs> no, that no, in no, no, no. Sure. Some okay. of them had, had decent lives, actually. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so a prophet, uh, as you mentioned, there's, there's sort of the office of prophet in Israel, and there's the people that we think about, the characters in the Bible. But it's important to realize that the, the office of prophet was much broader than Israel. Mm. So all the, all the nations, all the religions at that time in the ancient Near East, they knew what prophets were. They had prophets because prophets are, you know, just generally speaking, people that speak for a god or gods, uh, and so this could be either, you know, a God has revealed something to them, and so they're, they're saying what the God wants, um, or sometimes they'll, they'll even kind of spy in on what the gods are doing. So these are, this is what's behind things like divination, you know, so when you read the flight patterns of birds or you cut open an animal and you watch how its entrails kind of fall and then you read the liver and those kinds of things. That's um, a thing? That, that, I just did that it, this morning. It was a thing, yeah. yes. Like, when yeah. will Nicholas hit? Yeah, oh, should get I? the entrails out. Yeah. What should the next 
TV show. That's kind, I that's kind of like God. You know, um, you know, if I'm supposed to marry this person, give me a sign. All yeah. green lights on my way yeah, to the exactly. gas station. Okay. Yeah. So they just yeah. did that with rats. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I mean, naturally. Yeah. So, you know, broadly speaking, there are people that speak for the gods. We tend to think of them as kind of foretellers. You know, people that only speak about the future, and that that certainly is something that they did. If the if that was part of the gods' message, mm-hmm. um, and so in that sense, they're the the broader office of prophet and the biblical prophet are the same. Yeah. That they are people that speak for God. Now we will see, and I guess I don't have to lay it all out right now, but we will see that the biblical prophets were limited in a lot of ways from what the the broader kind of ancient Near East. We're doing so. For instance, mm. our biblical prophets weren't allowed to do most divination practices. Okay. They had to, you know, you couldn't cut open an animal and read its liver, uh, and there were some various reasons for that. So, yeah, I, I guess they'd be unclean. You know, that'd be well. Yeah, that's animal, one of it. Yeah, Levitical. But anyway, but also it's rather silly. Uh, I mean, yeah. like if you can talk directly to the maker of the universe, then just seems do a that. Bit, seems a more clear way. You know. Yeah, it's it is interesting that a lot of the things that they're not allowed to do are what I would call practices that are spying on the gods. Mm-hmm. Um, so things like reading the birds and things, um, oftentimes that's a way of kind of just looking in at what the gods are doing, um, whereas most of the things that they're allowed to do uh, require either directly going to God. So this is the things like the Urim and Thummim where they cast lots, mm-hmm. um, or oftentimes God will come to them in things like dreams. So it, it tends to be God-initiated in for our biblical prophets. Gotcha. Hmm. So um, let's talk a little bit about the the transition, uh, because there was a time when there, there weren't prophets, and then there were. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as we talked about in the book of Judges, you had these, these sort of saviors of Israel. That's kind of what the judges were. Um, and they... But then the people of Israel, to, to really cut the lo- this long story short, wanted a king. They wanted to be like other nations. Um, and at the time, there was a prophet, and mm-hmm. he's, an, he's an unusual prophet. So let's Samuel? talk about... Yeah. yeah. So let's talk about Samuel, because he seems to wear many hats, whereas other prophets maybe not so much. And he is really directly involved with this, this huge transition from judges to kings. So let's talk about him and what he did. Yeah. So I will say that He's not the first prophet, that Moses is kind of the preeminent ah. prophet in the Old Testament, but Moses is pretty special in terms of biblical characters. Uh, but moving on to Samuel, so you're right, Samuel is, he's wearing many hats. He is a judge, he is a prophet, he is a priest, he's kind of doing all these different roles that after him will start to get distinguished more. And so he's he's really he, he's leading them through this very tough time as they've just come into the land and they're trying to get along. They're trying to find some unity and they're not doing very well. And so Samuel, he is then in charge of picking, as you said, a king because the people want a king and God does warn them and say, well, you know, if you do this, your king is going to, of course, want taxes and take your sons and daughters to serve their various needs and all these other kinds of things. And they say, no, that's fine. We want it anyway. And so that's what Samuel's told to give them. So Samuel is, as the prophet, he's the one speaking for God. He's anointing the king. Uh, he goes and he finds Saul. And it's in this kind of transition period where we see what previously was a very... Uh, 
you know, their understanding of leadership in these various roles was kind of fluid and they kind of, um, all of a sudden I'm blinking on words. They, the, the roles were not clearly defined. Yeah. And so after this, we start to see first the king and prophet role really being uh, separated from one another. So we'll even see a bit of an adversarial relationship between the, the king and the prophet as Samuel and Saul will kind of get in a few mm-hmm. tussles. tussles over yeah. things about who's okay, who's allowed to offer a sacrifice, right. who's allowed to make certain decisions. Even after Samuel's death, they, they Even, argue. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But come yeah. to that later, maybe. But yeah. So that's where we see the, the role of prophet start to change a little bit and define even more. Hmm. But how do you know that you're a prophet? Or like, I mean, if someone in the Old Testament is like, I'm a prophet of Yahweh, like, can they just say that? Do they have to be voted, anointed? That's a great question. So they had lots and lots of prophets. There yeah. were there are there are prophets that weren't false prophets yeah. that just aren't in the Bible. Like right. they yes. aren't named. They don't have books. Like and hundreds. That sort of thing. Yeah, hundreds. I mean, yeah. they yeah. get hunted down. Yeah. You know, as we were talking about before we started here. Yeah. Uh, so there were lots and lots of prophets, and so lots of people would claim to speak for God. The question is, of course, how do you know who to listen to? And that actually is a a question we run into at several points in the Bible mm-hmm. where, uh, you know, Deuter- Deuteronomy says something along, this is my, this is the Adam paraphrase, something along mm-hmm. the lines of like, how do you know who a true prophet is? Well, they're the one whose prophecy comes to pass. And well, that's tricky since some of them are real far out. Yeah. I mean, I it's mean, like you know. if you're a king and you need to make a decision in the moment yeah. and the prophet tells you, you've got three different prophets telling you something. Well, yeah. you can't wait to see which one comes true. You got to make a decision in the moment. Yeah. Uh, it's like a it's a, it's like a far side cartoon, right? Where like yeah. some guy finds evidence of someone's innocence two hundred years later. Oh man, we executed the wrong guy or something. But, you know, now the prophecy comes to pass. Now but the anyway. trick is there's it's obviously there's more to that. And the the king, for instance, was expected to meditate on the law. Mm-hmm. The king should have been somebody, as David was described, you know, a person after God's own heart. Mm-hmm. And so ideally, a good king would know who to listen to. Yeah. Right. So if if somebody sends me if if somebody comes to me, you know, think about my wife or like a very good friend of mine and somebody comes to me and they say, oh, your your wife or, or this very good friend of yours has said you should do such and such. Yeah. Well, I know what types of things my wife would ask me to do and, and what she wouldn't, yeah. you know, and so I could yeah. easily most of the time say like. Yeah, she'd never ask me to do that. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah, you see that in reverse with King Ahab. He doesn't. He does not want to listen to Micaiah. Yeah. Because he's like that guy never tells me what I want to hear. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, that's know, but he knows. <laughs> he knows he's right, and yeah, he doesn't want exactly. to listen to him. Yeah. So, yeah, there are tons and tons of prophets. Some of them do record their call that they receive. So they, in their book, you know, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, all the big ones, they'll. They'll say, like, this is what happened. This is how God came to me and called me. Hmm. Uh, but we get plenty of prophets who, who they don't record their call. Yeah, like Nathan just shows up on the scenes. Like, yeah. Nathan, the prophet, mm-hmm. like, oh, I guess he's the guy mm-hmm. for Samuel. Like, cool. And some of yeah. them were professionals. So Nathan probably was employed by David. Hmm. Uh, so they had they had court and temple prophets who would have made their living that way. But then you have people like Amos who they're just working out in the field one day and God shows up and says, hey, I want you to like go up there and start telling them stuff. Hmm. So the, the office of pastor is a little bit like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in, in, in the sense that like you can have people like me who are paid to, to full time be a pastor, you know, yeah. like and it's like that's a 
we would say a good thing to do. Yeah. You know, become, procure someone's time. On the other hand, there are like street preachers who are like, you know, have a day job, but man, they can bring it, you know? Yeah. Like they're, yeah. they're anointed to, to bring the work. for yeah. all of these roles. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. So um, it does kind of seem like the Wild West of the Old Testament, though. Like, prophets here, prophets there. Some are real, some aren't. Some are for false gods, but they're real prophets, but for the bad guy. Yeah. By the way, before we go on, we have a question from oh, one, of our, a question. one of our atheist listeners. All right. Okay. I can say that because it's right in the handle. Yeah. Um, is it a good idea for a deity to choose a few people to speak on his behalf rather than just speak directly to everyone? That's a, a good question. I'm thinking of the means by which a god would speak to everyone. Well, some people you know. would say today he speaks to everyone. He speaks. They do? I mean, you can pray. Oh, you well. Can read the Bible, and maybe that's a whole other podcast about yeah. such things. But Well, I do think that the, the method of this of the communication is interesting. Mm-hmm. And I've I've always kind of wondered that. I mean, so Moses is is on the mountain, like and he's hearing, you know, you, you get the sense that this is verbal communication. I mean, I don't even think it's a sense. I mean, it's clearly that's what's going on. There's a verbal communication and Moses is this middleman and et cetera, et cetera. But um often the the prophets are thus saith the Lord. And you know, I do it's I do wonder, not that I'm doubting it, but I wonder how are they hearing from God? You know, yeah. do they hear a voice in their head? Do they, um, you know, I don't know. I don't, maybe it doesn't matter, but. It probably would take us into an area that is off topic for today, but yeah. I guess it's the question of, you know, if God just sort of overrode everybody's kind of consciousness and spoke to everybody, like a like one of those email blasts or like you can, you know, call somebody's cell phone with an automated, like if God is just sort of, mm-hmm imposing God's self on everyone, Mm -hmm. I would think you'd start getting into issues of, you know, whether God is kind of respecting the, the, respecting personhood and like free will. Again, free will is where I'm not sure I want to go today, right? But um, if you, if, if you appreciate that God respects individuals and their choice, right, whether or not they want to worship and follow I guess that would probably play into the answer. I don't know. It's a great yeah. question. It's re- it is well, a really we'll, great question. We'll put a pin in it for a, another time. Maybe if we talk about like modern offices of yeah. prophets and such, that are yeah. apostles or things. Yeah. Well, that and that would get into the modern question of whether there are modern day prophets as yeah. well. Because I think one of the arguments against the ongoing offices of capital P prophet or capital A mm-hmm. apostle are that those with capital letters, if you will, those offices really speak for the whole church. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would argue that God has communicated for the whole church through the scripture, um, and, and more or less the, the, the canton is closed. Um, so even if he speaks to Joe Bob Prophet down at, you know, First Baptist, you know, wherever, um, Baptists don't really have prophets, but you get the, you get the idea. <laughs> um, First Assembly of God, whatever. And, um, <clears throat> and he has a word for that congregation, okay? But that's not a word for the whole body. You know, we have that in the scripture. There also does have to be a willingness to listen, right? So I will repeat things over and over and over and over and over and over and over, both verb, you know, in class and in emails and announcements on Blackboard mm-hmm. and everything else to the mm-hmm. students. Uh, and inevitably, a quarter to you a half told of them us. will say you never, you know. Yeah. So there's a there's a sense in which you could say that God does speak to people, mm-hmm. um, but there also has to be a willingness to listen. Yeah. Yeah. He who has ears to hear, you know, yeah. let him hear. So let's talk about some major events. I mean, we've already talked about okay. one with the calling of Saul or the anointing of Saul and then David. We did a whole thing on kings, so we're going to kind of 
breeze through that. But and then Solomon, those are the kind of the three kings of the United Israel, if you will. Then there's the the breakup. But the breakup the breakup. <laughs> the, well, uh, I mean the breakup of poor the Israel. Yeah, but I mean that in and of itself is is significant. So let's. What are kind of the major events that that take place during the during this whole period where prophets are active among this people, and then who are the prophets like associated with each one? Hmm. Um, you know, so like um, I never get the timeline straight. I think that Isaiah was around nine hundred something BC, a little bit later, but yeah, he's earlier okay. than many of the others. Okay. So he's so like Jeremiah is the Babylonian exile, which is like. Sixth century BC, but anyway, Isaiah's about eighth century. Okay, right. So he's he's preaching, uh, leading up to the the Assyrian destruction of the Northern Kingdom, which okay. is around seven twenty two. Okay, uh, and then a, a little bit after that. Uh, so, so the Assyrian Empire was a great empire, and it came into the it, it never got as far south, which is to say Jerusalem. So this is so they the do actually of... get down there, okay. um, but they don't they aren't able to take Jerusalem. Okay. Is that because of uh, an alliance, or do they lose in a... Well, it kind of depends on which account. So whether you, you know... So the biblical account is that God intervenes. Mm -hmm. um, Because for David's sake, he spared those two uh, for a while, at least. And then the Assyrian account, if I remember correctly, is something along the lines of his... Oh, shoot. It's been a while since I've read it. Uh, Somebody somebody dies or gets sick, and so he has to go back. Um, That sounds familiar. So the... You know, the accounts are slightly different, but, you know, the yeah. agreement is they kind of, after he destroys the northern kingdom, he marches south, but isn't gotcha. isn't able to stay. Okay. So so Isaiah is more during that time frame. Mm-hmm. And so, and he d- does he mostly prophesy to the north? And what, what kind of is his message? I mean, we, of, co- of course, let me ask this. Uh, Isaiah covers, if memory serves, about 90 years. So people will say, I might be wrong on that. So, but people will say Isaiah is actually three people or more. Hmm. Do you have any thoughts on whether Isaiah is one person or multiple people using the name or? Okay. So I, I'll say, I'll preface this to try to cover myself by saying I'm not willing. These are not the. Uh, I'm yeah, not yeah, willing yeah. to die on this hill. Um, but I will say most of, when you read through the book of Isaiah, you know, you look through the way uh, it's written, so you have chapters 1 through 39, and then 40 through 55, and then 56 to 66. And many will say that both in, in terms of style and kind of subject matter, they, they're broad picture, like 10,000 feet, it's all unified. But there's a few little differences here and there uh, that make scholars think that they're probably... You know, you've got 1 through 39, which might go back to, like, the original Isaiah. He's speaking to um, the northern and southern kingdoms about kind of the coming Assyrian destruction as a judgment for their covenant unfaithfulness. Uh, but then the later uh, parts of the book, and, and the real debate comes between whether or not there's two or three. So whether or not that mm. 56 through 66 is a third person or if it's still the second second person. But many think that the that second half of the book is added a little bit later, um, hmm. that it comes through tradition. You know, and we could even say it's like an Isaianic school. So we know that these prophets, they after they spoke and they wrote, people recorded them. They, hmm. you know, it's not like they had stuff that went online and it was there forever. You know, they 
they had to copy these things, which which was an expensive process. So you you have people that immediately recognize the value of these prophets' words and say, okay, we need to keep this stuff. We need to yeah. copy it. We need to pass it along. Uh, and so you've got these schools that will kind of sometimes pop up after these prophets that will, you know, carry on their message, continue hmm. to copy it. So, uh, you know, it's quite quite possible that... Yeah, that second part of the book was sort of added later. Yeah, and I personally, I don't think that in any way takes away from inspiration. takes away from inspiration. Yeah, um, yeah. I just like to. I just say it's one guy. It just makes my life easier. Well, yeah, yeah. So, and I, I think at the end, like, like if you're Moses preaching to the, the church, five and, yeah, because it is a it's it is disputed, and ultimately, at the end of the day, when we say Isaiah, what we're referring to is is the book that we have and the message within it, mm-hmm. right? Now, if you're talking about the, if you're trying to establish the historical person, then somebody might jump on you for what you think on this. But yeah. at the end of the day, you can just say Isaiah, because what we yeah. mean is the book. Yeah. And he's speaking for the Lord. So what you mean is yeah. the Lord's message to Israel is this during yeah. this time. Yeah. yeah. Which is why something like red letter Bibles have always struck me as kind of odd, right? Like, because you're prioritizing, now I know you're getting these like Trinitarian debates, but you're but they're words of the Lord. Like, yes. yeah. the, all of Scripture is... Is the word uh, of the Lord. Yeah. Thanks and so, I, I, yeah. So <laughs> I always think that's a little odd that people would hang on to that so much. You know, like, yeah. well, it's not the red letter. So, But let's contrast Isaiah maybe with Jeremiah. Um, okay. So Jeremiah is a little bit later, mm-hmm. and he is before the Babylonian yes. uh, empire invading. So let's talk about that period and what it was like. And he, He's a very vivid prophet, right? You read. Is he him the like and... suffering prophet? Is that his yes? Thing? He's he's definitely the so we get. We Jeremiah do. has the most biography, so we know mm. the most about his just kind of life and what happens to him. Isaiah, we don't get as much biography. Ezekiel, we get a little bit more. But all these names we're kind of throwing out. These are the literary prophets, the ones that we mm. have their actual writings. Because earlier, when we we're talking about Samuel or Nathan. Uh, they are prophets, but someone else is writing about them. Yeah. We don't have their recorded yeah. words, really. And the reason we have these literary prophets, well, there's many reasons we have the literary prophets, but one of the big differences, because you're, you're asking about kind of the events and, and how mm. they um, relate or contrast from one another, is that over time through the kings, uh, through the time of the kings, the monarchy, um, or I guess you could say monarchies with the two, yeah. the mm. two nations, uh, the... The nation is just not, they're not faithful to the covenant that God had made with them. And God continues to send these prophets to call them back, you know, come back, come back, come back, and they won't do it. And so usually when these big literary prophets come on the scene, it's because God is finally saying like, okay, you know, this has gone far enough. Now all those things that I promised back in Deuteronomy, which we call the covenant curses, you know, if you go back to Deuteronomy, it says, you know, okay, if you're faithful to the covenant... You know, all these great things. If you're unfaithful, then mm-hmm. these other things. And so the oftentimes the prophets are are announcing that these covenant curses are coming. But it's not almost never is it this concept of full destruction. So they're gonna be destroyed, but God always says, I'm gonna have a remnant. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's it's more of a punishment than a a complete ousting of Israel. Yeah. So the covenant yeah. is still there. Uh, anyway, so you're asking how they uh, how they compare? Well, the Northern Kingdom they they go downhill much quicker, which mm. is why uh, downhill in the sense of like just fidelity to God. Yeah, fidelity to okay. God. Like from the moment that they split, they've already set up uh, these two different competing centers of worship, and 
you know, idols and those kinds of things. So by the 8th century, God brings Assyria in to judge the northern kingdom. And this is Isaiah and Hosea and Amos and a few others that are, are very early prophets. And then uh, as time goes by, after the northern kingdom is is destroyed and, and the people are taken off to exile, the southern kingdom follows the same thing. And so there's some of the prophets will say things like, okay, well, you watched what your older sister was doing mm-hmm. and you're doing the exact same mm-hmm, things. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, Jeremiah, he comes on the scene. He initially is a is is a bit positive, believe it or not. Some of his earliest oracles are are saying like, "Hey, this is not okay what you're doing, but if you turn back, mm-hmm. the destruction won't happen." Uh, and this is because you've got a king named Josiah who initiates a reform, and and it looks like things are improving, but then Josiah dies, and they go right back to mm-hmm. idolatry. And so Jeremiah kind of changes his tune and goes, "Okay." You know, destruction's coming. Yeah. Uh, but this time at the hands of the Babylonians. Mm. So it's a different group. That group actually took out the Assyrians uh, and is now going to come come take out the southern kingdom. So this is Jeremiah. He's speaking about that. Uh, and he, as I said, we get the most biography from him. He's kind of the weeping prophet. Weeping. He, That's yeah. the word. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, and he, we- wrote, he wrote Lamentations, right? Yeah, I mean, tradition Tradition says. Well, it depends on who you talk to. But... um, See, I thought it was the weeding prophet, like you you do yard work or something. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. One of the more famous lines in Jeremiah is, peace, peace, when there is no peace. So Mm -hmm. break break that down. Why did he say that? Well, people keep saying, you know, oh, don't worry, nothing's going to happen. Like, God's going to rescue us. Because remember, there's lots of prophets, Mm -hmm. and the king is is trying to, and the people are trying to figure out who to listen to. And so you actually have a couple of showdowns. Uh, Jeremiah has one with a prophet named Hananiah. And Hananiah uh, is, you know, one of these other, well, so Jeremiah is not employed by the court, but this other guy is, you know, and so Jeremiah and Hananiah, they're standing in the court. They got all these other people around and they're prophesying two very different things. And Hananiah says, oh, God's going to come and he's going to break the yoke of Babylon and and rescue mm. us and all this other kind of stuff. And so Jeremiah is just like, you keep prophesying peace, mm. but it's not, oh, mm, interesting. It's not happening. Uh, well, so there's, there's so many themes, but I want to I want to just take a time out and say on the way over here, you know, thinking about the prophets, I was listening to some of the 9-11 Hmm. Um, you know, just shows and remembrances and memorials, things like that people were doing. And um, I'm not going to make a, a comment on whether 9-11 was a judgment from God. That however, sounds wise. <laughs> however, um, when you think about the destruction, you know, when we think about destruction of the northern kingdoms and then the temple in, in 586, and it, we, it's really hard for us to imagine how calamitous an event this would have been. Yeah. Um, 9-11... As bad as it was, you know, in terms of percentage and locality, mm-hmm. you know, we're talking about whole countries really being wiped out. Um, and um, so anyway, it was, in a way, it was a reminder of the kind of devastation that Israel was facing and mm-hmm. that, that Israel was experiencing. And uh, we kind of, you know, we inevitably talk about it like, oh, this is an historical event that's happening. But maybe if you do remember the just sheer brutality of horror of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's Um, contextualizing it for sure. Yeah. I had a friend challenge me on that once because there was, um, in response to, you know, a big event, 
uh, you know, there were TV preachers saying, mm-hmm. oh, this is a this is a judgment mm-hmm. for God. And, and it's not to say that everything should be interpreted as a judgment from God, yeah. and I don't think it should. But I was just under the default assumption that, like, no, God wouldn't do this or whatever. And then this friend of mine pointed out, I was like, wait, don't you teach the prophets? Like, yeah. Yeah. wouldn't the prophets say exactly that? Yeah, you're like, ah, um, oh, touche. It's like, oh, okay, you got me. Um, yeah, it, I, it's tricky, yeah, because, like, we like to—like, 9-11, right, we have— enemies like our enemies like radical islam you know a different worldview and i kind of fall on that line like we were attacked we were a victim but there is a part of me that's like but there are many things america does that are just like patently evil and Mm -hmm. like we know we christians should know that christians should understand that and um so it's not like i would ascribe it to god but i wouldn't say that we are um it's tricky, you know, because yeah. I don't want to make the people who actually died be like, well, they deserved it personally. But yeah. then again, oh, people that died when there the were temple innocents was destroyed, who died. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I mean, that's 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 part of the judgment. There's two so. things to keep in mind here. One is that our biblical authors and prophets and everybody else thought primarily communally. So it's not that they mm-hmm. didn't think individually, mm-hmm. and of course they did. But when it came to all this stuff, we see judgment. Uh, sinfulness, God's presence, all these kinds of things, it almost always had to do with the status of the community. Yeah. Whereas we think the exact opposite, right? Mm-hmm. We we are very much along the lines of, you know, it's all about the individual, the individual's salvation, those kinds of things. So to us, it just seems abhorrent that God would, would allow an event that would hurt an innocent person, um, or at least somebody we would we would think is innocent. And so that our biblical author would say, no, like that's that innocent person got hurt because the community was sinful. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. On the other hand, in the new, not, or on the same hand, in the New Testament, people ask Jesus, like, why did the tower at Siloam fall? Or why did Pilate, you know, m- mingle the blood of innocent people at the temple? And Jesus is like, repent. You know, yeah. it's like, hmm. it's, it doesn't matter. Repent. Like, like, let that be a warning to, to you that you yeah. don't know. He doesn't say this, but more or less, you know, you don't know when the time is coming. So it's when we see tragedy, it's an opportunity for those of us who are still living to say to ourselves, repent. But mm-hmm. we, well, that's it, true, you know. regardless of how you think about it. Yeah. I have two questions about Jeremiah. Okay. One is I've heard that uh, if you were to like trace the covenants through the Old Testament, uh, you know, like the covenant with Noah, the covenant with Moses, covenant with David, that there's another covenantal moment in Jeremiah I don't, what are your thoughts on that? Where he basically says, like, doom and gloom is coming, and yet, and he kind of reestablishes, like, there's a greater hope on its way, and mm-hmm. I'm never going to leave you. I mean, I know that's in all of them. There's always a remnant. But do you think that there's something special in Jeremiah in that way? Or was so, I reading the wrong commentary? No, I think, uh, so I would say when talking about covenant, there's there's two ways to talk about it. There are covenants. So we can talk about covenant as individual agreements that God makes um, at particular times. So when God makes a promise to Abraham mm-hmm. or when God makes a promise to Noah or something yeah. like that. Uh, so those are our covenants. Uh, but when we're talking about the broader... So this is this is me because this is a highly contentious subject. Uh, That's how I roll. Yeah. Wait, yeah. this question of covenant in Jeremiah? Uh, well, just covenants in general because oh, okay. this is going to explain what how I answer I with Jeremiah. I this was a big... Controversy. So Sweet. whether or not there's well, yeah, how many covenants like there are. And dis- and so dispensationalism oh, 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 or something like gotcha, that, where gotcha. you've got, yeah. you know, does God act different ways with different people? Gotcha. So will Israel be saved according to their covenant, but 
you know, Christians will be right. saved according to this. So Which this, is getting to my second question. So, okay. But continue, uh, continue. Okay. Yeah. So I I don't see what, well, I see the different covenants um, just in the smaller definition. In terms of, of broader covenant, what God is doing with creation, um, I tend to lean towards sort of one central covenant in yeah. that, you know, creation is messed up. And so God is in the process of bringing about a, re- like redeeming it and bringing about a new creation. Yeah. And so between those two events, I see one process. Uh, and that's not to deny that God did, you know, for instance, addresses Israel differently than he does the church, mm-hmm. uh, but it's all part of this longer process. And so when we get to Jeremiah, Jeremiah is called because the people did not keep the covenant that he made with them. He right. said, look, if you if you want to live in my presence, if you if you want my my holy presence to be able to dwell among you, you have to be a holy people, right? Mm-hmm. God God doesn't dwell among sin and evil. Um, in fact, God destroys those things. And so when the people are unfaithful to that, what Jeremiah says is that the problem is not the covenant. It's it's not what happened at Sinai. It's not the right. rules. I mean, like mm-hmm. we still agree that mur- like yeah. the Ten Commandments, we still hold to that. Like murder's wrong, theft mm-hmm. is wrong. It's not like Jesus did away with those things. Right? No, he fulfilled the law. Yeah. What Jeremiah says, and Ezekiel says this as well, is that the problem's not the covenant. The problem is us. Mm-hmm. Is that we can't keep it. It's too high of a standard, and so. He says, uh, he uses this imagery of having stone hearts, Mm -hmm. and he says that you're, hopefully I'm not, I I tend to conflate Ezekiel and Jeremiah because they're very close on this. We'll allow it. Yeah, but so. I know Ezekiel's the stone heart. If they were, yeah, if they were talking together, they'd probably say the same thing. Yeah. so it says your your sin is written on your heart with an iron stylus. So it's just mm-hmm. this idea that it's like for humanity, it's just something innate in us. Yeah. Uh, and he says, so what God is going to do in the future is give is give us a heart transplant. He's yes. going to pull out that start heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. Mm-hmm. Uh, so personally, what I do is I connect this to uh the book of acts right in the coming of the spirit Mm -hmm. and paul picks up on this when he talks about how we are a new creation Mm -hmm. who are being formed in the image of christ and all these kinds of things Mm -hmm. that it's not that those i mean we could talk about things like uh dietary law and those Mm -hmm. those kinds of things that's that's a tough one that in particular or like why we can wear mixed Fabrics. Fabrics. Paul Copeland already answered all those questions. Yeah, yeah. But outside of those very few laws, almost all the other ones we would agree with as Christians. Right. Uh, So I don't think the law went away. I think Mm -hmm. God has just enabled us to to live it. Not not to achieve salvation. It's because we're saved, because we're being made in the image of Christ, that we we can keep it. Which is why if you call yourself a Christian, but you're a hateful, murderous, like slanderous, whatever, (laughs) you know, you should probably... Call yourself something else. No true Scotsman. I mean, no true Christian <laughs> can actually be a murderer. Yeah. yeah. Part of the reason I'm curious about that, uh, my first question is because when I think of Jeremiah, I mean, I think of a lot of things, but the one, and it's stitched on pillows all throughout mm-hmm. America, and it's on rocks at, you know. I know exactly the, what yeah. you're going to say. Jeremiah 29, 11, yep. Everyone, I mean, when I was in college, it was my life verse 
There were air quotes used there. It's a beautiful verse. This, you know, I know the plans I have for you to close the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. And people love that verse because they want that verse to be for them. And so some people will say, yeah, that's for you because it's in the Bible. God said it to his people. You're his people. And other people will say, no, 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 no. Those verses were for a certain people at a certain time. They were for Israel. You can't just go on around, you know, thinking that's for you. It seems like maybe it could be both, but I'm curious because there's a lot of stuff in Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Isaiah that would be really lovely to say like, oh, God was talking to me when he said that. Is that fair to say? I'd say there's a good German word, uh, yein, which is a combination of ja and nein, meaning <laughs> so yes, yes and, and no. no. Um, so I think it depends on how you're reading scripture and your fancy word hermeneutic, right? What you, yeah. How you think... What are legitimate ways to bring meaning out of a text? There is at least the the distinction of reading something exegetically, right? Mm-hmm. Trying to understand what it meant in its context. And, you know, so what did Jeremiah mean by this? Right. Um, or even reading it canonically. So maybe Jeremiah didn't mean that. But when we read it in light of the rest of Scripture, you know, it might mean something. And that's different than what I would call, well, what lots of people call devotional reading, mm-hmm. which is to say... You know, when I get up early or what, I'm, I'm not great at getting up early. Um, well, there's always those but Christians are, that are like, I was up at 3 a.m., yeah, right, you yes. know, praying. Uh, well, that's the great. That's awesome. Hour. They better have been casting out demons. That's at why yeah. they're doing it. Oh, okay, fair enough. <laughs> for the rest of us. But they're okay. looking but, into the Bible for comfort or for solace yeah. or, or, so or, you, or, or edification. It's or basically yeah. you go, if you go to Scripture to encounter the divine, right, you are in your quiet time or whatever language you use there, you're reading scripture not to understand what Jeremiah meant by it. Mm-hmm. You're reading it in order to encounter God. Mm-hmm. And so ultimately, most of the time when you, if you take Jeremiah 29, 11, right? And you, if it makes you, if it brings you comfort that that God is kind of guiding your life and has plans for you, like, that's awesome. That's great. Uh, that isn't what Jeremiah necessarily meant by it. Yeah. So he was speaking to a people that were about to be judged mm-hmm. and saying, you know, okay, well, you're about to go through a really bad time, but don't worry, I'm not completely destroying you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, that's a that's a slightly different message than saying, oh, I have a plan laid out for you and it's all good. Yeah. Right. So, to prosper, like, not to like, harm. Yeah, yeah, like you should probably definitely quit your job and take the, the job offer on the table because Jeremiah says so. Yeah, when so, you take it out of yeah. its context, sure. you miss the you you see the prosper and harm, mm-hmm. but you forget that that's actually after the harm. Yeah, right, right. So, so really, the next time the Babylonians are to our north, about yes. to invade and destroy yes. our cities, then we should put we should plug in Jeremiah twenty nine. Well, the but there's an ex- exegetical thing that you can combine with the devotional, which is that in the same way that Israel was going to go through harm, but ultimately we'd be prospered. Yeah. We also look forward to a day, right, where God yeah. will make everything better. But yeah. but it doesn't mean that our life up until then is going to be prospering, but that one day everything will be made right. And it'll so. also teach you that God is, God is while God does discipline, and we, actually, that's a good thing, God doesn't do it for the sake of discipline. God doesn't mm-hmm. do it um, with just the purpose of ending us. Like, God... Yeah. God does it with with a larger good purpose in mind. Mm, I love and that. And so Jeremiah yeah. twenty nine eleven is actually a great verse if you're if you feel like mm. you're going through something difficult. Maybe maybe it's even your fault. Like yeah. you brought it on yourself. You can you can read that as saying like, okay, well, maybe God is is allowing me to to experience this or whatever. But 
God is not the type of God that just destroys. Oh, I really like that. Um, that so, I would stitch on a pillow. There you go. Yeah. Okay, Evan, take okay, it Okay, so Ezekiel, is it about UFOs or not? Oh my <laughs> gosh, I was hoping we would talk about this. You don't uh, have to answer that. But And Ezekiel is actually a very difficult book, I think. There's a lot mm-hmm. of wonderful warnings yeah. in there. We always, in our lectionary, our three-year cycle of readings, we always read every, you know, third year the Watchmen, you know, mm-hmm. texts about mm-hmm. if you if you know what is wrong and you say nothing, like yeah. the blood mm-hmm. guilt is on you, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but people really do talk about this UFO thing. I mean, they, they do. And they really, yeah. like, mean it. It's like, I don't even know that how fringe it is anymore, especially when the, when the Navy releases, like, shots of something going across the sea at like supersonic speeds people are like see yeah. so if you're listening to the podcast and you have no idea what he's talking about ezekiel has a lot of visions yeah. and in those visions some weird freaky things happen so you like probably remember like the valley and, of yeah. the dry wheels on wheels and, and eyeballs and all yeah. kinds yeah. of things yeah. yeah but they're in these visions and so i i'm like the most conservative bible reader that i know and even i would say like those are visions those are not so but yeah talk us through that okay i'm curious well i will say I mean, there's, I don't really think much about aliens. I, maybe they're out there. I mean, I don't think there's anything unchristian to believe there might be other intelligent life in the, in the universe. Maybe, I, I don't know. So I don't, I don't have much opinion yeah, on that. No, I hear you. I hear um, you. Although if you think there are aliens, fine. I don't, I don't think it's unbiblical. But biblical. I mean, but like, you really what, can't look at Ezekiel and like with, come to any firm conclusion. No. Right? I mean, that what would Ezekiel, be pretty silly, right? Ezekiel is getting a vision of... God on God's throne. Okay. Mm. And it's it's well established among our Old Testament writers that when you encounter the divine like the hu- like our little human brains just can't mm-hmm. deal with it, right? And so Ezekiel is trying to take something that he can't quite process, which is seeing God mm-hmm. and trying to put it in words as best he can. Yeah. And so he's trying to describe the indescribable. Mm-hmm. So that's where you end up with like wheels intersecting wheels and, you know, angels with four faces and wings covered in eyeballs and all this other kind of stuff. And he's just like... When people yeah. think the Bible's boring, read Ezekiel. Oh, yeah. man. Yeah. 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 You're looking for a cool tattoo. Like, yeah. there you go. Let's just look at Ezekiel. Hey, there you go. You got to figure out what it, what he's describing first. Yeah. but Even though Ezekiel himself would have been like... Don't get a tattoo. It's against yeah, the law. Yeah, you probably shouldn't but, get a tattoo. Yeah. But but Christians, of course, argue that that part of the law is we don't follow anymore. But yeah, not sure I, I agree with I that. I don't know. But um, let's look at the maybe the last major historical event, which is connected, of course, to the Babylonian conquest and destruction of the temple, which is the carting off of not all of Israel. Um, some mm-hmm. people stayed behind. Yeah. I don't know if they were considered traitors or not, but for whatever reason, Babylon did take chunk of folk mm-hmm. back into Babylon. No, Babylon's a lot smarter than Assyria was. Mm. So, I mean, just practically speaking, if you're going to conquer a nation, uh, you don't just wipe it out. What you do, and this is exactly what Babylon did, was you you take all of its sort of smartest, most yeah, accomplished people, you take yeah. the best of the best, you bring them back to your country where they can work for you. But you leave kind of the farmers and the poor and others in the land so that they continue mm. to care for the land, and then you can tax it. Mm. And that's exactly what they did. They they it left a, a prosper like a yeah. like a, it's a good place to grow things. Yeah, they're growing yeah. things. Milk and so, honey, baby. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. you leave people there, and then you just continue to mm. tax them. So yeah. it was very smart um, yeah. on Babylon's part to do that. Uh, and this is so you know Ezekiel. If I had to. 
if I had to boil down his main message, it's all about God's presence and the fact that God is leaving the temple because as long as God's in Israel, like nobody's going to conquer it. Like mm-hmm. God's not going to let his own territory while he's there mm-hmm. conquer it. And so interesting. part of Ezekiel's vision is God up and leaving the temple. God uh, has left the building. God has left the building, yeah. which then leaves it open. Yeah. yeah. You know, if the biggest okay. warrior is there, you can't take over. But if mm-hmm. the big warrior leaves, mm-hmm. you can. So, well, what are the main? So, there are a number of minor prophets somewhere in, in there. Um, and so, like, who are the main prophets that deal with sort of post uh, exile? You mentioned cutting yeah. off the best. I think the, the major example that would be Daniel, because mm-hmm. you've got yeah. Shaq, Shadrach, and Abednego, which are their Chaldean given names. But, uh, Anyway, but they, they are the best. Yeah. Uh, you know, and they're, they're kind of represent the best of the Israelites who, you know, are carted off to, I don't know what they do. But um, so you have Daniel, and um, we won't go there all through Daniel. We, we should do that as its own book. We totally should do a whole podcast yeah. on Daniel. It's so weird and mm-hmm. so awesome. But, but wait, before yeah. you get to that, before all that happened, we've got Elijah and Elisha. Do you want oh, to say anything yes, about them? Yeah, for sure. Oh, well, they're way back. I know. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. We're going to so we gotta, That's fine. That's fine. Yeah. We've got to go we're way back. Well, and so, and so I, earlier you were talking about literary prophets. Yes. So definitely Elijah and Elisha would not be in that category because right. they're in the story of kings and maybe yes. chronicles uh-huh. too. Yeah. Right? yeah. Okay. So, but anyway, and they're very interesting people. So, yeah. 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 So, uh, yeah, just tell them about it. Tell okay. us about them. Yeah. Can I finish my. I, I sure. have interrupting one to. It's our fault. Oh, no, no. I just. Systematic. Got it. Yeah, yeah. Got it. Yeah. Okay. So just say to answer your question about, you know, the people getting carted off, Ezekiel's vision when God's presence leaves, uh, God's presence goes to be with the exiles in Babylon. So there were exiles ah, that went other places. That's mm. a cool I mean, that's just a cool idea, concept yeah. that to unpack. Because Ezekiel is in Babylon when he gets the vision. And so God oh, comes and it, it kind of signals that the future is with the remnant. The remnant mm. is Israel in Babylon. Uh, and they're ultimately the ones that come back, mm-hmm. uh, and then they reestablish and and those kinds of things. And they rebuild the temple, and there's debate about and whether God came back to the temple, right? There's no record of God coming back to the temple. Okay, so they um, had all the sacrifices, but none of the presents, like the Holy of Holies and the... Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I don't know if there's tra- like Second Temple traditions later, but biblical tradition, God doesn't come back. In fact, the, the elders when they build the second temple are weeping because it's not what it used to be. Mm. Uh, so can't go home again. You can't go home again. So this is of course where it leads into the, the new Testament where, you know, John, for instance, says that, uh, the word took on flesh and tabernacled among us. Mm-hmm. Like your English Bible says yeah. lived or something mm-hmm. like that. Dwelled. Dwelled. Uh, but the word actually is tabernacled, and it's a it's a direct reference to God's presence returning, uh, which God left in Ezekiel and mm-hmm. finally comes back in the person of Jesus. And back to the very beginning, just because we're right here. Yes. There was about a 400-year period after the return from Babylon until John the Baptist, where, of course, it's debated whether he was a prophet, but... There was agreement that there were no prophets in that time. Is that right? I mean, there might have been false prophets. I don't know. But, like, we don't have any, like, there is this intertestamental period of no writings because there weren't prophets hearing from God. So that's interesting to me because it's like, how did they know? How did you know as a prophet? Well, they seem to know. They seem to know enough to not just, well, we'll publish that guy. You know, you know yeah. what I mean? I don't know. 
We yeah, do have but, another yeah. Adam coming on the show to talk about the intertestamental period. Oh, awesome. Yeah. But but I'm curious your thoughts. So you're the old Adam and he'll be the new Adam. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Jesus is the new Adam. Evan. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry, Sorry, I couldn't let that one go. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, that was my thought. Yeah, I do yeah. want to answer your question about Elijah as well. Let's Elijah. do it. Let's go back to it. We, I can't believe so we... So a long we rewind. Yeah. So long rewind. We're going all the way back to the time of the kings. Uh, actually, before even the north was destroyed. Mm. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Because Elijah is is in the north. Uh, he's... So pre-Assyrian, uh, pre-722. Yes. Okay. Uh, Elijah is one of my favorite characters. He's fantastic. He, it's during the reign of a king named Ahab... Mm-hmm who gets married, incorporate to Jezebel. Apparently um, that's a very popular name these days. Did you know that? Is it really? Wait, for your being for real. Is it really? Yeah, my my wife who runs a preschool, she tells me, I don't know that children in the preschool. Do the children come in wearing a lot of makeup? I don't know of any Jezebels in our school. And and if there were, we would love them all the same. Well, yeah, of course. course. It's just interesting that... She 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 is hearing it's a more popular name. So anyway, wow. Huh. But but I it, have thoughts. But, but, but for that, another time. For those who don't know, that's weird because Ahab and Jezebel are very controversial. Well, they're evil. Evil. Yeah, they are. In the Old Testament. Yeah, so. and so they bring in all these kind of Phoenician gods and all. So it's all this idolatry and everything else. And and Jezebel actually hunts down a yeah. lot of the the prophets. prophets of of Israel's god. So it's just a really bad time, and Elijah comes on the scene, and the very first thing he does is go. he gets told to tell Ahab that there's going to be a drought. Mm-hmm. And so he goes to the king, says, hey, there's going to be a drought, and then he disappears for a while while the drought happens. Because, of course, droughts take a little while, and then the plants die, and then people start to starve. Like, it's a terrible thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Elijah's just kind of off being taken care of in the wilderness by God, during this whole thing. And then eventually he goes back into civilization when the, even the, the river that he's by dries up and, you know, he performs a few miracles. Uh, and again, these are, these are kind of things it's, it's not that abnormal in the ancient world for people to do miraculous things. It is for us because, you know, this modern enlightenment world, we just don't think of the miraculous or we we think it as something completely rare. Mm -hmm. Uh, but really it would have just been like a, a calling card of a, a prophet or somebody that represents a god, right? So yeah. it's just kind of expected that if a god is behind you, you can do things. So, I mean, that's not to take away from how amazing it was what he could do, but so he performs some miracles. Uh, but then finally, once the the drought, this kind of punishment on the north has uh, really taken hold, God says, okay, well, go back to the king mm-hmm. and issue a challenge. And this is just one of the uh, more interesting stories of the Old Testament. It's would make for great TV. Yeah. Uh, so he goes forth and he says, "Hey, hey, you know, Ahab, Isabel, I'll tell you what. Let's let's have a showdown of the gods. You know, you you get all your best prophets representing Baal, who's one of the gods that they're worshiping, um, and I will represent I'll rep for our team. Yeah. I'll represent represent for our team." And let's go up on Mount Carmel, and all the people can watch us, and we'll build two big uh, piles of wood, and we'll you you can't light it. We'll just call out to our gods, and it's important to, to realize that Baal, the god that they had brought in to worship, was a storm god. And so Ezekiel's choice of this showdown is not a coincidence. Mm-hmm. Elijah, or sorry, yeah, who, who did I say? Ezekiel. Ezekiel, sorry, Elijah. Thank you. Um, it's it's not a coincidence. He's actually trying to 
to show the fact that Baal can't even control the things that he's said to control. So mm. he says, I'll tell you what, your God can call down lightning and light yeah. the fire. And so the the prophets, you know, they're dancing around, they're cutting themselves, they're they're praying to Baal, nothing now, happens. Now that's a weird, that's a really weird scene. And so is the idea with them cutting themselves, that would have been understood by the by the author of Kings that this was yeah, like a form of like self-sacrifice sure, or something? But yeah, it's okay. this like devotional kind okay. of, let me show you, show you what I'm willing to do for you. I mean, it's at least that. Yeah, what other, yeah. what other, whatever other connotations? It's okay. I would, I wouldn't expect you to be intimately familiar with, you know, every detail. Pagan, of, pagan worship pagan, practices. Pagan worship He's practices. not doing yes. that in his quiet times, though. Yeah. I can <laughs> exactly. Sure. Yeah. yeah, that's not your devotional by the way. Yeah. Okay, but anyway. Yeah. So, so anyway, it doesn't happen. This, they yeah. can't get bail, and and it's really fun if you read this story because Elijah just taunts and makes fun oh, of trash them. Trash talk. Yeah, yeah, it's total great. trash talk. He says. You know, hey, maybe you should call out a little louder. Maybe Bale's just asleep and he yeah. can't hear you. Or maybe he stepped off to go to the bathroom. So you just wait a minute. Or yeah. Yeah. He's gone on a trip. Yeah, he's yeah. gone on a trip. Yeah. So, And it's not that out of the realm of possibilities in the way that, that the Bale worshipers thought because gods were just like big humans, mm. right? They did sleep. Mm. They did, mm. you know, have relationships. They could even die. Right. Mm. Uh, Whereas Israel's God, that that wasn't the case. Israel's God was a God of all things. And so this is precisely the showdown. Finally, after they can't do it, Elijah, just to add insult to injury, has them pour a bunch of water on the wood and on all this kind of stuff. He says one quick prayer, and God answers with presumably so lightning. Yeah, yeah, it's just fire, like comes down. Uh, and of course, all the people can see this. And then Elijah's like, okay, kill all the prophets. And so then they he chases down the false prophets and proceeds to kill them because that's just what you did yeah hey man false uh part of the job false part gods, of the job idolatry it's it's a it's a thing it's a big deal yeah i wonder if jezebel's name is the bell part of that from baal uh, it is oh, oh it is okay. yeah. yeah so a lot of names in the uh in the old testament that we see parts of their name reference a god so hmm. For instance, Elijah, anything that has like Yah or Jah mm. at the end is a reference to Israel's God. And mm. so, Joshua, yeah. yeah, Joshua. Mm. So Yah- Elijah's Yahweh, like Yahweh. for short. Okay. Yes. Uh, okay. So in Ezekiel or, or uh, so El would El be is... a reference. It's El is their word for just God. Okay. So it's a, so it's a general term okay. or it could be there. Sometimes it was in reference to a, this Canaanite God, El, who's mm-hmm. like this father God. And so that's a debate itself. But Elijah's mm. name means my God is Yahweh, mm. uh, which is just makes it a very cool name. Yeah. But Jezebel, yeah, her her okay. name has Baal in it. And so Baal, yeah. So Baal, false god, stay away. No, don't worship. Bad and things, things don't happen. end where for, well for Ahab or Jezebel. There's blood and dogs. Yeah, and, she gets thrown out of yeah. a window and then like dogs eat her. And, and dogs look up his blood too. Yeah, and and just to to fulfill a prophecy. Yes. Yeah. yeah, because there's a prophecy about the way that they'll die and that dogs will lick up their blood. Which yeah, I, it's all very Game of Thrones ish. <laughs> like yeah. you know, people. Yeah, yeah it's kind of yeah. So um, uh, let me let me ask this. I mean, I'm. Unless we can talk about Elisha as well, which is fine. But I was people gonna... can read their own Bible. Yeah, He's Elisha. He comes He's after awesome. Elijah. He does a lot of similar miracles, and I'm not saying he's not totally awesome. But after Elijah, it's just it's a hard, hard to, to it's a hard act to follow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, 
Let me let me ask this before I, move. I was going to ask about sort of modern day prophets, which I know isn't necessarily an Old Testament bailiwick. But let me um, ask one of the things that people will say about miracles, and I've said it many times, but I'm starting to question it. Okay, which is that in the Bible there are three main periods of miracles. There's there's the Exodus essentially with all the parting of the sea and mm-hmm. the quail and the manna. There's Elijah and Elisha. You know, lots of they do a number mm-hmm. of miracles, like we just mentioned the prophets of Baal. And then there is um, the New Testament, you know, apostles and Christ himself, of course. Um, but the reason I'm sort of questioning whether you can narrow it down is because of the supernatural way in which prophecy is done. And mm-hmm. I don't know how you, I don't know what you would call that if not a miracle, you know, someone didn't raise from the oh, dead. interesting. But I mean, we're, we were talking earlier about the mode of communication. Like God mm-hmm. is speaking to Jeremiah in a way that he is conveying with authority, the very words of God Himself, and so um, it—I don't have a question. It's just—it's just one of those things where I'm not sure that this kind of conventional wisdom of saying that miracles are it, the reason that people will say that miracles are rare is because they have kind of a beef, including me, with the 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 claim of miracles today. Oh yeah, okay. it sort of takes away from the authority of Scripture, or it leads okay. to phoniness and you know the or it's just overused like the word love yeah people like i woke up this morning it was a miracle no i got a front row parking spot yeah yeah what a miracle blessings on blessing and so they so people will say as a counter well actually miracles aren't that common you know in the bible but it's like well i don't know i'm starting to rethink that a little bit you know (laughs) like would you maybe if i put it as a question do you i guess it could depend on how you define miracle but do you think that the prophets themselves were involved in in when they weren't raising people from the dead or burning up wet piles of wood do you think that <laughs> their very activities were miraculous in that sense well that's a good question yes <laughs> i had finally well it's just an opinion so well no you know, i'm no. trying to trying to think of how far we go into this so if you read some some great stuff to read just in general, not only in terms of Bible and theology, but just in philosophy or the way we think. So if you if you know the names like Charles Taylor or there's a, a current guy, James K. Smith, who kind of presents Taylor's uh, thoughts, uh, as well as a lot of other a lot of other thinkers now are starting to show that post enlightenment, uh, we just we think about the world, we meaning like modern day people, mm-hmm. think about the world in fundamentally different ways than prior to the Enlightenment. Yeah. And I don't just mean like we're accepting of some things or not. I mean like at the very basis of what we're willing to, ex- even willing to th- consider mm-hmm. um, as explanations for things has changed. Uh, so just as an example, we, we see with uh, a philosopher like Rene Descartes, the guy famously said like, uh, I, I think, think therefore I am, yeah. uh, you know, one of the, the concepts of this like Cartesian world that we live in is just that the, the world is this mechanistic place that operates only according to very predictable, uh, you know, so, so the sciences, physics like that, yeah. they're just trying to map out how mm-hmm. the world functions. Yeah. Rules of logic, rules of physics. Mm-hmm. And, and. Christians should not necessarily be against that, right? Yeah. We believe that God created these laws and created, put these things into effect. But what happened uh, was that in order to think that way, we had to rule out the possibility that anything could interfere with that system. 
So it's now a closed system and nothing from the outside. So one of the things that Descartes struggles with is, okay, well, if we accept that we have a mind and the mind is an immaterial thing, so he's not thinking of the mind as a brain, Brain. right? He says if the mind is an immaterial thing and the material world is only, things only change in the material world according to predictable laws of cause and effect, then how can a mind affect the physical world like mm. how does your mind power your body mm-hmm. uh, and this was just a, a something Descartes really struggled with and it's been a problem that we have had for a very long time and so this is where even even words that we use like supernatural yeah is a word based in enlightenment thinking there's yeah. the natural world yeah. and then there's, and then there's the, the outside world. the supernatural yeah. but in the ancient world they didn't think like that the mm. You have the material world and you have the spiritual world and they overlap mm. such that what what is it that changes things in the material world? Mm. Well, it's it's the spiritual world behind it, animating it. It's this agency. So you and I, we have material bodies, but our spirit is what animates it. And when we die, right, our spirit leaves our body. Mm. It's no longer animating it and it ceases to move. And so this is why ancients will do things like worship the sun because you know, if our body requires a spirit to move, well, then surely the sun requires a spirit to move across the sky. Hmm. That is, uh, that's really interesting. Man, now I'm thinking that's another whole podcast. Yeah. Let me get Craig Keener back over here and talk about miracles and supernatural and, yeah. So everything has an agency behind it. Yeah. And that spiritual agency can can interfere with the physical world. Mm. And they're like, for th- so for them, when they think about things like miracles or the miraculous... I mean, certainly the parting of a sea is a much bigger deal than certain other things, mm-hmm. but it I don't think it would carry quite the same significance as it would for us, mm-hmm. because for them, they would say, well, of course a powerful God could do that. Yeah. Um, whereas we're willing, you know, a lot of modern day people would say, well, that just doesn't happen, yeah. like period, and try to come up with some other explanation. So this is me just sort of rambling now. I'm no, um, no, no. trying to I, say I that yeah. in, when we start saying, like, did they live their lives and just constantly do miraculous things? Um, you, I suppose, yes. I mean, well, maybe sense, not in the yeah. way that we would define yeah. it as miraculous, but in the sense that they were constantly in tune with what God was doing, mm-hmm. right? And so they and could speak say, for God and they gonna, could do things yeah. God called them to do. Yeah. I was going to say yes because it's supernatural, but I'm right back into those Cartesian categories. But yes. Sarah, why I have one we... more question before yeah. you go to the modern day thing. So there's major prophets and minor prophets, and I don't know if you want to make a distinction there, but something I'm interested in. It's just length. In, it's just the length of the book. Okay. Yeah. Um, but two of the prophets, if I'm correct, Jonah and Nahum, were both prophets to pagans, right? They weren't prophets to Israel saying, Israel, you keep messing up, but God is going to do this and that, right? They went to people that weren't God's people and preached to them. Why, why did God do that? Like, and why, I mean, I, I guess we can't ever really know the mind of God, but that just seems like this doesn't match the rest of what prophets were about and for. A lot of the prophets actually speak. So Jeremiah, I, you know, they all have what we call oracles against the nations, but they're really, it's times when the prophets stop speaking to Israel or Judah hmm. and start speaking to the nations around them. Okay. And the reality is that, broadly speaking, God always did and always does care for all peoples. Even though the Old Testament focuses on Israel, keep in mind that his uh, calling of Abraham was that so he and his descendants could become a blessing 
to the rest of the world. Right, mm. blessed to be a blessing. Yes. Uh, so God's focus has always been on everybody. Yeah. And uh, so that's why we see people like Jonah and others going to these, you know, nations other than Israel and, and prophesying, speaking yeah. words to them, because God's God hasn't forgotten about them. Yeah. He's not. And this is the point that all the prophets are trying to make, is that he's not only a God of Israel, he's a God of everything. Mm. So, awesome. so the great, uh, prop, my favorite prophet, Obadiah, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I barely knew that Obadiah was a book in the Bible, and then I was like, is that a book in the Bible? And so I looked it up, and it's all, it's one of the one-chapter books. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like so, and it's he, he speaks to pagans. Uh, mm-hmm. It's basically telling the pagans, uh, yeah, I'm about to destroy, you know, Israel, but don't get too cocky, you know, because I can oh, do the funny. same to you. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So there's a, it's a, it's a Don't think warning. it was your God that did this. It was actually yeah. me destroying my own yeah. people. And I, I huh. use that because I recently did like a five books of the Bible in five weeks thing, looking at all the five uh, one chapter books of the Bible. And uh, that's the one in the Old Testament. And so I, I kind of used it to say this would be, a, you know, a lot of times Americans will place themselves in the place of Israel, like when they read mm-hmm. the Bible intuitively, like we're the chosen people, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, maybe Obadiah is talking to us sort of thing. So um, interesting. we don't really need to talk about modern day prophecy, um, you know, because we've done whole shows on that. We've done the cessationist debate and yeah. miracles and things like that. Um, but I, I would say that um, maybe just kind of go back to, um, you know, I mean, a reason that I would argue against prophets being today is that it seems to me like a prophet should have a message that is applicable to the more or less the whole body, um, and uh, I don't see anyone who speaks who could who's speaking for the whole body today. But yeah. maybe that's a wrong way to to limit that word, the word prophet yeah. or prophecy. This is where I'd go back to where we started at the beginning. Say that there were there are prophets that we read about who spoke things that are now scripture, and then there were tons and tons of prophets that we know existed, but they like didn't. Mm. We pretty much just know that you know Jezebel hunted down and killed him or something like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And I would say that that kind of provides us a framework for thinking of prophecy in the sense of God, God speaking to everyone, mm-hmm. right? In a with an authority that that is at the scriptural level, right? So this is this is inspired. This is something that you keep and it's applicable for all ages. Those kinds of things. And then there's prophecy in the sense of, well, maybe God just speaks through a person to, you know, inspire the church or another person or, or deliver some sort of, like, truthful message. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, the the first sense that that we're sort of writing new scripture, that was that's done, right? And I always use the argument to say, okay, well, if we understand that what Scripture does is give us the broader story of what God is doing in creation, right? Mm-hmm. So we have the we have the beginning, we have the whole middle story, and then we also have the ending, right? We know where all of this is going. So the whole story has already been told. Mm-hmm. There's nothing else that needs to be given right. us at this point. Oh, and going so, back to the middle, yeah, yeah. And yeah. so there's no there's no reason for new Scripture because we already know where everything is headed. Yeah. Uh, so I would say script or prophecy in that sense is mm-hmm. done, and I, you know the majority of tradition agrees with me. Uh, but if somebody was to say, "Does God still speak through individuals to bring truth into you know a congregation or into any particular situation?" I'd say, "Yeah, absolutely." Yeah, it's not like God stopped speaking through people. Yeah, uh, but I I would say that's kind of a different sense of prophecy. Yeah. And if they're wrong, do we get to kill them? Oh my gosh. Oh, because uh, Deuteronomy. 
No, just kidding. Mm. Don't answer that. But anyway. Well, that's we're, a good place to end. Yeah, yeah we're I'm probably going to say no, but <laughs> yeah, no, I've I've never killed a false prophet. I just want to go on record. These points of views do okay. not reflect the LGN yeah. or Houston Baptist right. University. Yeah. <laughs> but you could throw them down a well. No, yeah, what's that? Yeah. What do they do to all the prophets? <laughs> I don't have a well, but I do have a grease trap. There you go. That's pretty gross. Anyway, um, thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us this week, uh, Adam. Where can people find you? So, well, I've got a. A profile on Houston Baptist University's webpage. I'm not on social media a lot. I'm kind of a curmudgeon in that sense. <laughs> That's um, good. That's good. I would expect but, nothing less from an Old Testament professor. So, <laughs> but I'm always happy to, you know. So my my contact information. If in fact, if you just Google my name and HBU, like I pop right up on the top of Google there. Cool. Um, and then I'm always happy to answer questions. You know, feel free to. Cool. Email me. And if you want to go to seminary me. in Houston, go to check out HBU. Yeah, you can even audit our classes for very little cool. if you're not That's looking cool. for a degree. Yeah. So, yeah. And Sarah, people can find you at Memorial Drive Presbyterian Church. MDPC.org. But everything you need to know about me and Evan and all of Theology on Tap and uh-huh. Theology on Air can be found at HoustonTOT.com. We have little profiles for each of us on there where we talk about all the things where we disagree with each other. It's great. Yeah. That's Actually, fun. they're really nice. Yeah. But and you can tease things out. If you really read carefully, you can see little phrases in there that, like, tip your hand about what you believe. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, yeah. And I'm Evan at First Lutheran here in Midtown. And, yeah, Houston TOT and all the other places, subscribe and like us. Give it a positive. Give us a positive review. Uh, see, I'm so bad at even asking for Tell your friends. Yeah, blah, yeah. blah, blah. It's like a multi-level It's marketing. how the internet works now. I know. Yeah. It's, just, it's a it's shame. Ring the people bell. Ex- it's expected. I'm trying to bring honor and glory to God here, and I have to talk about our, you know, stuff, you know, our website. Gosh, but anyway. But thanks for listening. Uh, We'll see you next time. And until then, we encourage you to question freely, think deeply, and disagree as needed. 